Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roosts, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. The global wearable device market is expected to reach $62.82 billion by 2025. Wearable technology holds the potential to revolutionize the way people interact with their financial institutions, healthcare provider, and corner retailing, leveraging wearable devices from smartwatches to fitness trackers to apparel. More than ever, wearable devices can create seamless payment experiences while also providing unequal authentication around digital identity. It also allows an opportunity for an organization to brand the payments process. My guest on the Bank and Transform podcast is David Birch, international speaker, author, and advisor to the financial services industry. We discuss how wearable technology can be a major differentiator for both payments and digital identity in the future. With enhanced customer experience, improved security, contactless payments, personalized financial management, biometric integration, and new use cases and devices, wearables have the potential to transform the way individuals interact with their financial institution, healthcare provider, and retailer, making all these more convenient, efficient, and personalized. I have known today's guest for more than a decade, meeting David at several banking events across the globe and keeping in touch through the years as he is the foremost authority on digital identity and the future of money. You know, before we start, David, can you share a little bit about your background and what you've seen change the most in the last five years around digital identity, digital payments, and even the potential for wearables? Sure, I'd be happy to, Jim. So, um, you know, when I first got involved in pay, I, I won't even say how long ago it was. It, it, it embarrassed both of us, but um, but uh, yeah, we go back a while. Um, and I always remember when I first, when I very first got involved, I, I, and I wish I could remember who this was. I, I honestly can't remember who, but somebody said to me, look, we're basically all dealing with the same problem. Payments are too slow, too expensive, and too opaque. And everything we do is dealing with those issues, which turned out to be true, actually. Um, and I think what's happened in the last five years, if we, we've seen real advances in all of those. You know, I mean, payments, are, some people would argue, still too expensive, but they're a lot less expensive than they used to be. They're certainly a lot faster than they used to be. Um, they're still a little opaque, but there's work being done in digital identity, data sharing, zero knowledge proofs, this kind of thing, which is about to change that as well. So if you say, what's happened in the last five years? Well, we have some new technologies at our disposal now that we didn't have before. And so there's not not just the improvements that we've seen, but optimism for about improvements in the future. When it comes kind of more specifically to wearables, I think um, the first time I and I can't even remember how long ago this was, but it was a very long time ago, because I remember um, Consult Hyperion, the, the consulting company I helped to found, worked on the very first contactless pilot, which was Tampa, Florida, and that must have been 2004, 2005, something wow. like that. And uh, that was with Car. And I remember not long after that, uh, and I can't remember what context this was, um, we were messing around putting some uh, EMV chips in stickers on the backs of phones. Yep. And I remember just being blown away by that. I thought it was fantastic um, because, you know, everybody had a mobile phone at that point. 
and then it started to become watches and and then it started to become badges and then it started to be like access control and all these other kind of things and and it was interesting you know it wasn't it wasn't the core of what was going on but it was interesting and then what happened to, was um a couple of years ago some friends of mine who had been part of the team at mastercard which built all the apple pay infrastructure they decided to to specialize on the wearable side of things and build a company in that space which is digisec and they wanted to grow that company and so they went to the market to to raise some more money um and the market told them well you know if you're going to raise money you have to have a proper board and governance and all this kind of thing and so they figured well who do we know that's old that can do this sort of stuff <laughs> um and so so they gave me a call and i became the non-executive chairman and they raised the money and um have started to to build and develop the company and at that point i became very interested in the potential for wearables not only in the payments market and i'll come back to that in a second because yeah. i I want to make a point about how that's changed for me very recently. But also about the kind of, because I think the future is about money and identity, I also became very interested in the use of wearables for these identity-related things. And, and the reason for that, Jim, is because I, there's a thing that really bothers me about biometric identification. You know, the idea that you sort of walk into a store and the store knows it's you, and uh, and, you know, or you go and look at something and pay and things... I don't like the idea of being identified. Maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know. But the idea that they identify you bothers me. But strong biometric authentication, I think that's a different matter. That's why I love Face ID on my iPhone. It's not identifying me. It's authenticating me. And why is it authenticating me? It's authenticating me because it wants to use secure cryptographic keys that are held in tamper-resistant hardware. So the idea that you have a bracelet the bracelet has a chip inside it. The chip is very secure. The chip has keys inside it. And you authenticate yourself to that chip, uh, you know, with your face or voice or whatever. Like, you know, when you when you walk into the... There's a difference between walking into the Amazon store and a camera just scanning you and you walking in and you wave your phone or you, you right. put a ring on something or you wave a bracelet and then it identifies you. So I, I became very interested in the use of wearables for that kind of thing. In fact, I'm giving a a keynote about that um, later in the year in October, because I wrote a piece about this for, <laughs> um, you know, because I, really, I said, look, if people start to use biometric authentication for things, that is going to ruin the James Bond movies. I thought that was really funny because, of, and then I read in the Financial Times, there was an article from MI5 and an actual real spy in the Financial Times said it was so much easier before biometrics, right? Because now- yeah. You know, if you're identified everywhere, they're going to say, hey, you're not Dave Birch, you're James Bond. That's the kind of the end of that. So I'm interested in the use of wearables in both spaces. Now, when it comes to payments, um, these things have been around for a long time. And there's a lot of different form factors. Um, you know, I, I happen to prefer the ring. Um, my wife has a key fob that has a, which she much prefers. Um, but there are bracelets and actually I've, I've got a few here behind me. I could actually show you. Uh, but it's nice for people to have a choice in these kind of things. So why is it now it's suddenly getting more attention? I think there are, there are three factors there. One of them is deeply technical and much too boring to go into for your listeners, but but I will anyway, because I'm that sort of person. So one of them is 
in the old, like if let's say you're an Amex customer and you want one of those fancy Amex leather bracelets, they're Prada, aren't they? I think, or some other designer kind of. So you want one of these fancy bracelets with your contactless Amex card inside it. Amex have got to get the right token. Yeah, they've got to get your card details. They've got to get them tokenized. They've got to get the right token into the right chip, the right inlay into the right bracelet, the right bracelet to the right person. It's quite a complicated value chain. But because of some developments in the technology that Digisec has, you can now personalize the chips using Android or iPhone. So in other words, I can just mail you the bracelet or the key fob or whatever. And when it arrives, you can use your phone to load whatever token you want into it. So, so for example, I happen to have a curve card, yep. you know, curve, um, you can map curve to any cards you want. So what I do is uh, I load a curve card into my rig. Actually, my wife has one in her keyring right now. So I load the, and it's a MasterCard. We, we have MasterCard bulk enablement. So, you know, basically any bank that signs up can do this. So we load curve MasterCards into things, and then you can map the MasterCard to whatever you want. Mine happens to be mapped to a John Lewis rewards card. So now all of a sudden your bracelet, your hat, whatever it is, is your John Lewis rewards card. So that's the first thing that's changed. The second thing that's changed is the the wearables themselves have gone from being, um, I suppose, if you like, sort of more technical things to becoming, they're more to do with fashion now than mm -hmm. they were. So, so, you know, people want a nice bracelet or uh, um, charms on bracelets or... Um, uh, well, you know, I, there, there are these nice, actually, I'm thinking of getting one of these. They have those nice corded leather bracelets for men that have the yeah. chip inside the clasp. So so these things, they're kind of more fashion now. So that's changing the way people think about them. Um, and thirdly, the use cases have exploded because the idea of the branding of payments. Let's. I'll give you an example. We, we sold a lot of key rings to, to one of the soccer teams in um in the Spanish La Liga. And so the thinking is, it's this, this kind of thing is like, you're a big, I don't know, think of an American sports team. You're a big San Francisco Giants fan. Mm -hmm. So you go into the store and you pay with your iPhone. Who cares, right? That's, if you walk into the store and you pay with your Giants key fob or your Giants wristband or, you know, whatever, that says something different. It has a different context in terms of brand. And, and and or the idea that you know actually when you're at the ball game um you, you you want to pay with your branded merchandise like it's part of the and then it's a pretty small step because the way those chips work to load the access control so now all of a sudden you've got your giants bracelet or whatever it is and that gets you into the stadium and it gets you you can buy stuff well now you could do that with your phone you know what's the difference between these wearables and what i can do with my phone today uh, well, well, one is the branding, of course. So if you go to the gym, you might not want to carry your phone around with yep. you in the gym, you know, uh, whereas a, a wristband or something would be better. Or maybe like if you go out, you might want to leave your, like maybe you've got your AirPods in, you actually want to leave the phone zipped up inside your bag or zipped up inside a pocket. You don't, you don't want to take it out, which I didn't think that much about um, actually until last week when I got my phone stolen. Oh wow! So I was I was sitting in a coffee shop, uh, chatting to a friend of mine. Bought a coffee, sat down. We're having a conversation. Uh, a woman, I mean, I'll put a, you know, a woman was like pretending to be a beggar or something, and she was waving this piece of paper around. 
we shooed her away. And when she'd gone, I realized my phone had gone too. And uh, I ran out and it was too late. And I started to think, and, and I, you know, I did all the right things. You know, I changed my iCloud password instantly. I blocked it with the, you know, so in the great scheme of things, you know, my bank account was safe. Right. And I have enough money. I but you have the inconvenience phone of a phone having to be replaced. It was, in, it was inconvenient. Yeah. It wasn't the end of the world. I mean, I read stories in the papers every day about people who their phone is stolen. Someone was looking over their shoulder in the bar when they were paying with their phone to get the pin and then they grab the phone when people are leaving the bar and their and, and their their bank account gets cleaned out you know so and i started thinking you know when i'm in i looked up the statistics you know there's 250 phones a day stolen in london a third of them are stolen from westminster which is the area where i was and i thought i don't even know why i had the phone out i wasn't using it i was talking to somebody right so from now on when i'm in the center of london in the coffee my phone is staying zipped up unless i'm using it and if I want to buy a cup of coffee, I'm going to use my ring. There's, I'm, there's no chance I'm going to take out my phone. So when you look at when you look at that kind of wearable versus, let's say, a watch, you know, because I yeah. I use my watch as much for tracking of uh, fitness than anything else. Where do the wearables such as a ring, a bracelet, actually turning turning fitness bands into payment instruments is is rather a popular direction yeah. at the moment. I I personally, I'm just I'm not really a watch person. I mean, I, yeah. I never used to wear a watch. I, I bought an Apple Watch because, you know, because I'm that sort of person, basically. And I just never use it. I just, it's just not my thing. I, I'm just, but I mean, other people uh, love watches. And, but this thing about um, fit, you know, the specific thing about taking fitness bands and adding EMV to them, adding chip uh, contactless payments to them. So that if you're out running, you could just use your, fitness band to buy a coffee or something yeah i mean that's that's definitely an interesting area well especially as you you know think down the road and and talk about the integration possibly of healthcare and payments and you know fitness things yeah. of this nature where you know i i'm looking for the day that you know there's a reward system with my insurance company for me working out every day and you know my doctor doesn't have to do a oh get your blood test so i can find out how you're doing today where he really would be be better off looking at me all 365 days there was a there was a famous soccer player in the uk who um uh was under inst instructions to uh to get fitter this is a true story by the way uh and he he his club you know gave him a schedule to get fitter um and these were in the early days of, uh, of fitness tracking and so he, they gave him this fitness tracker to wear, and he put it on his dog and just let his dog go run around. And <laughs> I've used that as a joke a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I, you know, honestly, my first Fitbit got left in my blue jeans once, went in the washing machine. When I got out, I had like 400,000 steps and realized, oh, this wouldn't be a bad process. <laughs> now, the, the Fitbit was not much better after the wash, but uh, it did give me the steps. Yeah. I think the insurance companies have got some work to do there, but. Um... But yeah, so there's all those things. There's all those things coming together, Jim, which makes it kind of interesting in this space. When you talk about you know the whole authentication thing, and we talk about biometrics and all that, do you see that that the regulations have kept pace with what's going on in the, the wearable and the authentication area? Actually, that's a very acute question, Jim, and the answer is yes. If you go to our website, we've actually just published a white paper, which we commissioned from Consult Hyperion. Uh, to look at the specific issue of the PSD2, Strong Customer Authentication, SCA 
regulations in Europe. And and you can see why it's a point, because if, you, if you're just going to go around paying for things just by tapping all the time, how are you going to comply with the rules that keep everybody safe? And um, I mean, the short answer is actually it's good and it's good for wearables. They do comply. Uh, the slightly longer answer is essentially there are two kind of ways of doing this. You either go to online pins. So, you know, once every, in the UK, once every 10 times you do it, actually now I can't remember, it's 10 or 5, once every, or when you've spent like £300 or something like that, you might occasionally get asked to put a pin in at the terminal. Yeah, a dual um, dual authentication, yeah. yep. Yeah, no, yeah. so, so you, you, you'll tap it and then it'll ask you for the pin. And most issuers have this implemented yep. now, but some, but a few don't. So for the so for the other case, you you have to you know it'll be the app on the phone that that resets it. So you might get asked to reauthenticate yourself on the phone, and, and actually I can honestly say it's actually never happened to me. So um, it's pretty infrequent. But but yes, the the answer is yes, it does comply with all the relevant regulations. So. We have had great advances in biometrics. We've had great advances in identity and in authentication. But yet people still use plastics. Banks and financial institutions still push the plastics. What are the biggest roadblocks in, to the development and acceptance, both from financial institutions as well as the consumer, to wearable technology then? Yeah, I'm, it's funny you say that. I was just talking to somebody else uh, on another call before I came on here because I because I spent the most of the week in Dubai. I was at Seamless, which is the big exhibition. Yep. Um, you know, so I just spent. I went out on Sunday, so I've just spent like five days in Dubai. I had a lovely time, great event, really enjoyed it. I couldn't even tell you what the money looks like in Dubai. I never saw any. You know, and gone are the days when you would come back and say, well, actually, I never used any money. So I don't I don't know what the money is. I don't know what it looks like. Not only did I not use any money, I never used a card. Not once the time, you know, I, I used my phone in the hotel and yep. um, I, I have a lovely I was there with Terry Smith from from Digisec and she her favorite payment. She has a charm bracelet that has a, a little heart on it that has the and I have a lovely picture of her paying the taxi um with her bracelet the guy the guy was suitably shocked um at this point but yeah I mean so not only did I not use cash I didn't use cards either and I okay so if you look at the figures for kind of Apple pay usage you can see that a great many people are just content to take their cards around and even though they have Apple pay and, and by the way I know more than one person like this even though they have Apple Pay, they just can't be bothered to use it. They can't be bothered to load their cards into it. They can't be bothered to use their phone. You know, I know you're not supposed to use family as anecdote, but my, my wife, she'd rather run into the grocery store. She's got her keys in her hand anyway. So, you know, she'll, she'll go in to grab some milk. She'll just pay. In, in fact, she's more than once got hold of my key fob and tried to pay with it. Mine's not actually a payment key fob. So different people like differently. So this idea that everybody happy with cards, I'm not sure that's true. I think it's just that Apple Pay wasn't the right alternative to a lot of people. And in places where this branding becomes important, like uh, travel resorts, cruise ships, sports stadiums, pop events, that kind of thing, then actually the the ability to brand the wearables and, and integrate that into a broader brand strategy becomes becomes very important that will also become more important when you get used to the um the security components being added for the brand protection purposes so the idea that you know you you go to the game 
you buy a you buy a team shirt the team shirt's got a chip in it we already have a product called promo ready so you you can have a washable tag that's got the chip inside it and you know you tap it with your phone and your phone tells you yes this is real whatever new york um uh, New York Yankees merchandise, and it you know it'll show you a video or something, and the brand can log in a thousand times a day if they want to and change what that video, you know. So so each time the fan taps their shirt or whatever it is, not only do they get told this is authentic merchandise, but by the way, here's a clip of your favorite player, or here's a clip of last night's home run, or you know whatever. So so the so this linking the security part of it with the kind of brand and promotional part of it, I, I think is really rather interesting. And I think, you know, in the future, you'll expect more, I mean, let's just generalise and say objects. I mean, in the future, you'll expect more objects to be smart. And just in the same way that Elon Musk is very exercised about whether you can tell whether it's a real person on yeah. the internet or not, especially with the tidal wave of misinformation. It, it's interesting it's I. because I... I tell people I, I leave my wallet in my car or in my house and I take my phone and I won't even go to a place that doesn't accept Apple Pay or some other means of paying other than card because cards are the worst example of, of security, um, you know, overall, but it's just not known by many people. You know, the other thing is, where do you see the, the amazing advance in AI and the ability to fake virtually everything? How does that play into the authentication and, and identity game? Well, this is uh, this is why I have a suspicion, Jim, that this this issue about authenticity suddenly becomes vastly more important. And this is why I'm curious about the overlap with the kind of Internet of Things stuff, because there are ways that you can tell whether I'm authentic or not. I mean, we don't use any of these at the moment. We do stupid things like make people hold up pictures of their whatever we don't actually do any of this actually when my phone got stolen the thing that really frightened me about that before i got to my iCloud and was able to tell the phone to wipe the thing i was most worried about was not the cards in my apple pay it was because i knew there were some pictures in my photos because over the last couple of weeks i had to more than once send a photo of my driver's license i you're you started saying this i'm going Oh my gosh, I have photos of, you know, this is going to be great putting on the air. I have, which I'll get rid of right now. I have photos of my debit cards. And what more, because of Google, for Google, for Christ's sake, because of some Google business thing, I had, I have, there's actually a picture of me holding up my passport oh my because God. Google wanted to see a picture of me holding up my passport. So yeah, this issue about authenticity is, and I, I like I've long said, Jim, like if Twitter wants to know that I'm a real person, right? Who is it that knows that I'm a real person? It's my bank. Yeah. My bank knows that I'm a real person. You know, if Twitter wants to know whether I'm a person or not, why don't you ask the bank instead of trying these crazy things, yeah. ticks and passports, whatever. So the authenticity of people, but you've also got this issue about the authenticity of things. And for us, this is a very interesting new business because the authenticity of things has a slightly different thing, which is... Suppose we put one of our chips inside your shirt, right? And so I'm, 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 I meet you at a conference and I'm like, man, that's a nice shirt, you know, but I'm like really jazz. And I'm a guy, I don't want to ask you where you got the shirt from. So, you know, I'm just going to scan it with my phone. When you're not looking, I'll just put my phone around your back. 
I just want to see, is, it, is, that, is that a real shirt or is that a knockoff, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it's, well, if I can read that chip and it tells me this is real, all that tells me is that the chip is real. It doesn't tell me anything about your shirt. Right. You know, that, that chip could have been knocked off in China. It could have been taken out of a real shirt and put into a face. All the chip tells me is that the chip's real. So if I want to know if the shirt's real, I need to know which factory did it come from, which wholesaler, which distributor, which retailer, when was it sold? I need the provenance of it. And the truth is the provenance of your shirt is none of my damn business. So therefore it has to have, you know, appropriate access management around it. And that's complicated and therefore it's a business. So, so in a way, that's why, that's why the complexities around the identity of things, um, not just the wearables themselves, but you know, clothing and if I want to know, you know, are these real, uh, whatever nike sneakers is this a real rolex or you know just being able to read the chip is not enough i need the provenance and so i think that's quite an exciting new area so let's take a short break here and recognize this sponsor of this podcast we'd like to thank our sponsor microsoft see how microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels innovating new products and services and redefining new ways of thinking find out more at microsoft.com backslash financial services Welcome back to Banking Transform. So I am joined again today by David Birch. We have been discussing the significant opportunities provided by wearable technology in banking and beyond. So David, you know, this interesting question as we talk about the power of wearables and even authentication. Could wearables be the physical center point of the future of the, the as you call it, the super wallet with all credentials stored on a ring or a piece of fashion? I think the key, I mean, the way I see it at the moment is, um, <laughs> you know, because you see this happening with like the Bitcoin people all the time, right? Do you do you want to, you know, they have they have these like USB sticks and things which the dog eats or they accidentally drop in the landfill or whatever and lose their life savings. So do do I want all of my entire life uh, on a on a bracelet that I could drop in the ocean? Well, no, I don't. Um, but what I do want on the bracelet is the secure cryptographic keys that get access to those things. Uh, and then if I do drop the bracelet in the ocean, I can get a new bracelet and then the bank can reload the keys for me into it. So so it's if you like, so I think of the wearable as holding the keys to the data. Um, and if you look at the sort of variety of data that, you know, you talk about that Internet of Things example, um, there's a lovely story that I read. Uh, actually, I, I referred to it a couple of weeks ago in Forbes. Um, I read a story about a guy who had a, a Ferrari. It's like this million dollar car, right? And he's uh, he's in a he's in an underground garage, and they're fiddling about with the seats. And they do something with the seats that trips the Ferrari. Uh, it has some kind of mechanism whereby if somebody is messing around with the car, it bricks the car. So now his car doesn't work. And so in order to get the car rebooted, you have to call Ferrari and then they send a signal. But it's in an underground car park, so it can't get a signal. So they have to send a tow truck to go and tow this guy's million-dollar car. Upstairs, out of the, car out of the garage, park. yeah. 
Yeah, take a look at cricket. So that that's I mean that's not a life I want, you know. So um so basically what I want in my wearables are keys and certificates that can be used offline that that you know I mean I mean I'll give you an example which is suppose <coughs> I could do it using my retinas I don't want to do that. I can have a chip implanted in my arm. Not sure I want to do that. I might be prepared to give it a try. I'd much rather have a key ring. I walk up to my office door and the office door opens because it's my key ring and it's been authenticated and in I go. Now, I don't want the door to have to go online to do that because you and I live in the real world where online doesn't work all the right. time. So therefore, the door has to be able to get a certificate from my key, uh, from my key fob which says Dave's allowed through this door for the day. And you can easily imagine, you know, I wake up in the morning, my phone goes online and gets all the certificates, Bluetooth them into the relevant wearables, or, you know, you can imagine ways how all this will work, but it works because really you're storing the keys in the wearables, not all of the data, you know? So really, I mean, it gets back to your, your article that wrote about a super app versus super wallet. A super wall is really much more convenient to what we want to have in our future as opposed to a super app, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really on the super. I mean, I can see I can see there are pluses and minuses, and I, I understand why people like the super app approach. There is a lot of convenience to that. but And what I mean by this is when I say super app, I mean something that shares your identity across multiple service providers. When I talk about a smart wallet, I talk about something that shares strong authentication across multiple providers. Like you might have a lot of different identities in your smart wallet, but you don't have a lot of different authentication. It's like you you pick up your phone, you do your face, and then, you know, depending on which shop you're in or which service provider you're talking to, you may present a very different identity. So the super app shared identity versus the smart wallet shared authentication is a really interesting two different ways of doing things there's a lot of cultural and business reasons why i think a smart wallet is is a better approach yeah i mean and, authentication you know, you overall see, when you know after all the talk we've done around identity the authentication really becomes more important especially with what's going on with ai well exactly and that's that's going to put even an even bigger premium on authenticity like knowing whether someone's real is going to be you know I mean, not just for like me walking down the street, but we have to get into a situation where my web browser just will not display a picture unless that picture has some kind of digital signature authentication that, that like, otherwise we're on the verge of not knowing anything's real. You know, literally, you'll open up your Facebook feed and there'll be a picture of, you know, Winston Churchill playing table tennis with Harry Styles and everybody will do, oh, that's cool. They hope they had a fun time, you know, and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, I, I want to, if that picture shows up in my browser, I want a red border around it. Oh yeah. Which says, you know what? This doesn't have a verifiable digital signature attached to it. Somebody just made this We're going to need it in our elections pretty quickly, but we'll get into that at some other time. <laughs> so <laughs> what part of the ecosystem do you believe will drive the future growth of wearables? Will it be the financial institution, uh, the payments provider, maybe a tech firm or some combination thereof? I think for us, historically, it was the issuers because the issuers wanted to give people something cool. So the idea is 
you come to me, I'll, yeah, I'll give you a debit card, but I'll also give you a key ring or I'll give you a bracelet or, you know, whatever. So it tended to be the issuers. But actually, the way things are going now, it's got a lot more to do with brand. Um, it's got a lot more to do with, you know, when you're in my theme park, I want you to wear my theme park wristband and pay for everything with your wristband. I want because I'm tracking you, and which is what Disney does. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, but it, but extending that experience across uh, companies and sports and all sorts of other things as well. So at the, at the moment, I think. But but also, like I said at the beginning, one of the things which, because I don't understand a lot about, but there's also this issue about fashion. You know, this idea that wearables are becoming fashion as opposed to just purely functional payment devices. And I, I just I just brought a couple to show you from just one of the collections that we work with. I don't know if you're interested in these. Oh, kind of I, I'm, all, I'm but... actually going to ask you to bring them to Amsterdam with you because I'm I'm going to oh, yeah. I'm going to be a purchaser of of some kind of wearable in the next uh, two weeks. So, so so this is this is the kind of bracelet that a lot of people like. It's you know it's a it's leather, pretty bracelet. It's got the chip inside the clasp there. Um, or there's, uh, you know, th this is a here's a keychain that has the oh my gosh, yeah, chip inside it. It's pretty. Um, a lot of people like the charm bracelet things. I mean, some are bigger than others, but let me give you an example of one of these kind of. Oh, here's here's just like for people like you, Jim, just like a functional plain black key fob. I get I, I get concerned about losing the key fob. I like the ring because if it's connected to me, I can go swimming, can I work out? Yeah. Uh, the key fob. I mean, as I say, some people because they have their keys in their hand when they go to the right. store. Yeah. They they just find yeah. that more. And of course, if you do lose it, you can just go to the app and turn it off. So yeah, it doesn't uh, it doesn't matter. Here's some of the some of the higher fashion bracelets that oh my people. Gosh, is that manufactured by um, companies for Digisec or? Or, yeah, this is this is from a this is from a UK designer called Tovi Sorg. Oh yeah. yeah, he's a yeah. he's a jewelry designer. Um, we do things with so those work globally, right? I mean, they're you could buy them, and I could use them in the US just as easy as I could use them in the UK. Correct. Uh, the ones I've got in my hands here um, have to be activated to a UK account, but yes, they work in the US. Okay. But yeah, we do have US partners okay. to to deliver. Here's here's another. This is the butterfly keychain that um, quite a lot of people like. Oh my gosh, that's cool! You know, and there's, as like I say, there's charm bracelets and necklaces yep. and rings and that kind of stuff. So, so you know, so there's that fashion aspect as well, Jim. Do you think that the expansion of the wearable market will be a regional or global th uh, phenomenon in the near term? I mean, is it going to be something that plays out more in the UK or in the uh, in uh, United Emirates than it does in the US, or is this really going to become pretty quickly global? I, I, I saw some figures. I don't have them in front of me, but I saw some figures from, I, I think it was Discover, uh, that were like looking at growth in the global market for this kind of thing. So I'm, I'm not sure if it's different in com so because a lot of countries, because they've already gone to QR codes and phones and so on, there's lots of good reasons why people like me think wearables are much more secure than QR codes. Yeah. But, uh, but it's going to be a hard sell. So there you're looking at more to do with access control, brand protection, provenance, sports, you know, that kind of thing. So finally, 
what recommendations do you give to the financial services community as they have to get prepared for maybe your deeper integration within the wearable uh, marketplace? Well, I, I would say, you know, look, look at the, you know, we talk about brand in financial services and we talk about brand in payments. And, and I read amazing stuff on your website about this, Jim. I'm not an expert on it, which is why I come to you for, for, you know, this kind of material, but the opportunity to really have something branded for, for payment is, is a little different. You know, you're not using, you'll have, you'll still have your Amex card, but it'll be home in the drawer. And, and yeah. sometimes you'll use your phone, but when you're running to the store to get a cup of coffee, you'll use your ring or your bracelet or, you know, something like that. And, and when I pay with my Manchester city bracelet, I'll feel good. You know, it's, it's interesting because I'm thinking about, you know, sports teams or even my banking transform bracelet, you know, it, it just, uh, not that anybody would know what that is, but uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. We did uh, so. Mastercard were sponsors of the Roland Garros, right. the French Open. The French Open, yep. And so they gave they gave payment key fobs, um, uh, which we which were our our key fobs there. And they, I love these things. They looked like leather, but they were actually made from recycled apple peel. They were completely sustainable, recycled oh apple gosh. peel e-fobs with the like so the the imagination like what you can do yeah. with wearable yeah uh, you know people like me know how to kind of implement it but of course you need brand and marketing people to to have the imagination of what to do with it thanks for listening to banking transform the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence if you enjoyed today's interview please take some time to give our show a five-star rating also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research you're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hassage, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Bruce. Until next time, remember, banking in the future can be done with a variety of new wearable technologies that move far beyond the branch of the mobile phone. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.